This is the Whole Mind Podcast. We are three therapists who love Jesus and want to encourage and educate you about the mind. We are Grace, Wendy, and Candace. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Whole Mind Podcast. It's just Candace and Grace today. Mm-hmm. Wendy is hard at work potty training. <laughs> Bless all of the moms out there who mm-hmm. are potty training. I know it is quite the adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, so Wendy's not with us today. Yeah. But you've got me and Grace, so that's really fun. We're pretty cool. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> We're pretty fun. But we will miss Wendy. Absolutely, yeah. It's always fun to have her around. Of recording this, it's a pretty rainy spring day here. So it's like, I don't know. We're feeling kind of mellow mm-hmm. today. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> mellow is such a good word. And I literally just had coffee, so you would think that I'm, like, going to be really energized. But I'm like, hmm, no. whatever happens is what happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> today is whatever today becomes. I kind of feel a little bit like a hippie right now. <laughs> Peace and love, guys. Peace <laughs> and love. Alrighties. Well, before we dive into anything, I wanted to um, ask you, Candice... Uh, was your vacation? You were in Florida right. recently. Yeah. Hopefully, um, you guys all got to see some pictures on Instagram of my Florida trip. Me and my husband got to go to, like, Jupiter, Florida, which is close to Palm Beach, if you're familiar with the East Coast at all. It was my husband Caleb's first time in Florida, <laughs> which feels, like, insane because I grew up got getting to, like, fly down there, like, once or twice a year. So, like... Caleb's 27 years old. It's his first time in the Sunshine State. So <laughs> it was wild, but like he, he had a very deprived life up I until know, then. right? It's crazy. <laughs> but it was really, really cool. I loved it. Caleb loved his first trip Good. to Florida. Yeah, he's like talking about moving there now. It's like a whole thing. Florida was everything, so yeah, That's it was really good. Awesome. <laughs> How long were you guys there? We were there for like only like five nights. Oh, not super long. Um, but we're hoping to like go back in January with the snowbirds. So <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> course, right? Of course. My favorite thing is that you were telling me that you painted your toenails. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So me and um, the friend that we flew down to see got our nails done my last day there. And I painted them like a turquoise blue to, like, remind me of the color of the ocean. <laughs> so now, like, I'm literally in session wearing sandals. I'm looking at my toes and I'm like, ah, the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember where my heart belongs. <laughs> That's my favorite. I like you got to have a good memory and memento from vacation. Why not nail polish? Oh, absolutely. Because, like, like, it lasts a good long time, so mm-hmm. next time you go on vacation, ladies, paint your nails a color that reminds you of that vacation so I you can have it with you. Definitely am going to do that next time. You should. Although sometimes my trips are youth group trips. Oh, that's true. Those aren't vacations, though. We won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> vacation time, I'll paint my nails. Yeah. Though. When is your next vacation, Grace? Actually, my my husband's family and I are going to go to Colorado. Oh, cool. Which I'm actually really excited about. Of course I'm really excited about. It's Colorado. Yeah. Um, when are we going? I think it's in August. I, like, it's in my calendar and everything, but, mm-hmm. like, and it's not mentally in my mind. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure it's in August. Um, but, yeah, we're going to go there, and I don't know what color I'll paint my nails. All right. All right, cool. <laughs> Enough chit-chat. <laughs> 
Let's get to it. Let's hop to it. So today our topic is on addiction. So today we're not diving into any specific type of addiction. We're just doing addiction overall, like what it looks like in the brain and kind of like what it looks like in real life as well mm-hmm. and kind of like what causes it, um, what you're looking for a lot of the time when you're caught up in an addiction. So this is a really exciting episode, but if there's an, a specific addiction that you want to hear us talk about, please reach out, catch us on Instagram or email us or whatever, and we would love to try to cover some of those topics. So one thing I think we can all say is that addiction is pretty much everywhere. What do you think, Candace? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like us as therapists, we, like, see it more than the average person probably because it, like, pops up in our office a lot. But even if you work a regular job, like, you're going to find someone who's addicted to alcohol or a substance or even um, pornography or sex addiction or a mm-hmm. social media addiction. Like, there's just so many different types out there. There's an incredibly high likelihood that if you don't personally struggle with an addiction, you know someone who's probably pretty close to you who is struggling with something sort yeah. of an addiction. Yeah, there's quite um, quite a ripple effect. Absolutely. And there are actually two different types of addictions that we can like quick kind of throw out there. So there's something called a process addiction, um, which mostly is just like a behavioral addiction. So that would almost be like social media or porn. So like the way that that would um, kind of work is like you kind of have a trigger. So that could be like feeling overlooked or feeling embarrassed. And that kind of triggers you to go to a behavior. So like pick up your phone, scroll through Instagram for six days or (laughs) pick up your phone and look at pornography for a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be like more of a behavioral process addiction. Then there's also substance addictions, which I feel like is what we hear a little bit more about. So that would be being um, addicted to like an illicit drug. So that could be marijuana, cocaine, meth. I could talk for six days about the options there. Um, And then there's also alcohol addictions, which is really, really rampant for Mm -hmm. sure. Oh, yeah. And there's also prescription drugs, too. Oh, mm-hmm. Opioids. Um, which I remember when I learned about that, I was like, really? People can... <laughs> I was so naive in high school. I was like, people can use prescriptions? And yeah, that's also pretty rampant, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's crazy how they prescribe it. So, like, while I was going through my whole health drama, which we talked about in a previous episode from last year, I was just, like, randomly flipping through some of my paperwork that they gave me. And, like, in fine print, on the last page, they had said, your doctor has prescribed opioids. This has a risk of addiction. And I'm like, I've been on this drug for how long? I didn't know it was an opioid. So it's like... You really have to be so, so careful. Like, I feel really blessed. Like, I was able to, like, stop it pretty soon after that. And, like, Mm -hmm. there was no, like, lasting effects from it or anything. But, like, it's so easy to end up on a, like, on a prescription drug like that. I actually feel like that's a lot of people's stories Mm -hmm. um, where, like, they really needed, you know, like, that pain management. Mm -hmm. And then, right, like, there's something within their, their prescription drug that then creates an addiction. Yeah, and they, like, weren't addicts before, but they just got hooked on it, and then there's, like, really sad stories of people, like, re-injuring themselves on mm-hmm. purpose just so that they can get yeah. a new prescription. So, like, addiction wrecks your life. Like, yeah. no matter what you're addicted to, like, it just takes over, um, and in a lot of cases, like, you almost can't function without mm-hmm. that thing. Yeah, yeah, so there's just a lot of turmoil when there's addiction and Mm -hmm. there's some really really hard stories some sad stories with how it happens too Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean so we're kind of saying that like you might 
struggle with addiction or you might know someone that struggles with addiction. Um, so we wanted to give some numbers mm-hmm. to bring some clarity to that. Candace, I'll let you kind of take over that. Yeah. So before we even get into um, the numbers, with just about all stats, these are only reported numbers. So mm-hmm. these are the people that have gone through the trouble of telling their doctor that they have this addiction or they have this issue. So those are the only numbers that we have. So we feel like these numbers are way higher. Um, like I've mentioned before, I mostly work with teenagers, so like people under the age of like 19 or 18. Um, and I feel like these numbers are way higher. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go ahead and hop into it. So These stats are saying that nearly 1 million adolescents, so that's between the age of 12 and 17, um, struggle with some sort of addiction, while 5.1 million young adults, which is between the ages of 18 and 25, struggle with some sort of addiction. So that's a huge, huge jump for sure as you get into adulthood. And then 13.6 million adults, so like over the age of 26, struggle with an addiction now i'm struggling with the fact that we are both 26 or older i know which means that we are no longer young adults oh no oh no (laughs) no we have not been young adults for a while anyway focus i'm back on track (laughs) it hurts it hurts a little bit when we have those reckonings you know oh my word Side note, I was on Facebook yesterday, and, like, there are some people that I, like, went to high school with that, like, got together for a birthday party or something. I was scrolling through, and I saw the picture, and I was like, oh, my God, they look like they're almost 30. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) That's me. I'm almost 30. Anyway. Uh, It, like, really dawned on you. It really did. Mourn with me, everyone. Mourn with us all. Mourn with us all chances are you're near 30 or you are 30 or you're over 30 yeah so there's a little morning in all of that absolutely it just feels like time goes by mm-hmm. so quickly anyway but you know what we're gaining as we get older wisdom lots and lots of wisdom so which much i for wisdom. one am not taking for granted oh yeah absolutely not i don't want to be 16 again mm-hmm. i am happy being 26 it's a it's a good age I completely derailed us, and I apologize for that. That's okay. Getting old derails us a little bit sometimes. We have wisdom, but maybe we also have more bunny trails. Who knows? Yeah, we get a little distracted. Anyway, back to the numbers. Well, I would say the numbers, what we're sharing right now are about, um, I think, drug and alcohol Mm. numbers. Um, And, yeah, one of the other numbers there um, about opioid overdose. Oh, yeah. What did you see with that, Candice? Oh, yeah. It looks like um, more than 130 Americans die every single day from opioid overdose. That is so, so heartbreaking to see. But even that, I do feel like, is more than what is reported here, Mm -hmm. which is, like, really heartbreaking to even say that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just so, so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, So moving on with the numbers then, um, it looks like about 200,000 Americans um, are reported as classified as porn addicts. I already know that is, like, a gross understatement yeah. of a number. I've seen studies that says, like, I think, like, 80% of men, like, within the church are mm-hmm. addicted to pornography and something like 60% of women or something yeah. like that. And that's just within the church, not even, like, outside of it. Yeah, I and I think that's the thing. Like, there are certain addictions that, like, 
struggle to report mm -hmm. like right like how do you gain information and collect data about that yeah and there's so much shame um yeah. surrounding it a lot of the time yeah but yeah no matter what the addiction is mm -hmm. um and yeah that it's really difficult but like what we really think um is that these numbers are much much higher um so keep that in mind but this maybe gives you a little bit of frame of reference um i think that one um, number that's really interesting to me that maybe, and I think maybe this is even higher too, but 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. Wow. I oh know, right? Word. Yeah. But like, it doesn't surprise me because of like Instagram and like TikTok. And it's like, so accessible. Yeah, I feel like we could do a whole episode on just like pornography in particular because yeah. it is, it has and it is changing so quickly. Just yeah. like the access to it and when um you get exposed to it, it's just younger and younger and younger. Like if you have access to a cell phone, you have access to pornography yeah. and that's like scary for any parent I would assume yeah, yeah. But it's heartbreaking but yeah I think that would be a great episode and there's lots of hope and lots of oh so much hope great resources um, like fight the new drug and we can link that next time yeah when we talk about pornography specifically mm -hmm. but we have more things to tell you about just the overall general nature of addiction yes so why does addiction happen grace yeah yeah I think just like anything it's really safe to say that there's many many reasons mm -hmm. why um but addiction happens when there's a habitual use of um substance or behavioral things um and then the brain experiences pleasure one of the main main reasons for addiction is brain dysfunction mm -hmm. and i think that gets overlooked a lot um but like uh, brain dysfunction of the brain not operating the way that it should even before an addiction mm. um and this is why people maybe fall victim to addiction and why they relapse. And Dr. Amen says that brain health is the primary factor that determines your vulnerability to addiction. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I feel like, I don't know, just the idea of like your brain is dysfunctioning can sometimes like almost sound like I'm a crazy person. Yeah. And there's something deeply and desperately wrong with me. That's not at all what we're saying. Like I think somewhere else in here like we kind of talk about how our brain works with like a really intricate system of mm -hmm. neurons that connect like it is so easy for one thing to end up um just getting tweaked or like um just like hurt by like an adverse experience when you were a kid or even like losing your job as an adult and like your yeah. brain is just looking to feel okay again and yeah. a lot of times that can be a catalyst into addiction not that you're nuts yeah just that, yeah exactly yeah there's just something hard going on. Well, and brain health is just like any other part of physical health, mm -hmm. too. So, like, it's just the organ in your skull, but it just happens to be an organ that is so fragile and precious yeah. to our daily operating. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, yeah, I would reiterate that, too. You're not nuts. It's just that there's something going on with those intricate details in your brain. Yeah. Um, but I really like that point that there may be something going on that's kind of like a predisposition. Um, to addiction because I think a lot of people and we'll say this later but I think a lot of people think that it's like you're just awful it's just a moral failing mm -hmm. like you obviously aren't a good enough Christian you know like all these judgments that can come with it yeah um, but yeah so going forward obviously genetics I mean like we would be kind of remiss if we didn't mention genetics playing a part of this and the environment you're in, of course the environment you're in can play a role in contributing to addiction. 
um, if your parents or other family members abused drugs, alcohol, or mm -hmm. had some behavioral addictions, you're more likely to do that. Just like if your parents like chocolate ice cream, you might be more likely to like chocolate ice cream. It's just Maybe. Sometimes our environment can be um, a little bit of a predictor of certain things and tendencies. Yeah. It's not everything. It's just a... Uh, it can be a part of it. It's yeah. not that, um, like, it's a done deal. If your parents right. are an addict, you're going to be an addict, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and also, it needs to be pointed out that exposure to trauma, especially childhood trauma, has been linked to addiction. Yeah. And that's, like, pretty much any type of trauma you can think of um, mm -hmm. that really creates um, a lot of maybe difficulty for brain health too if you have childhood trauma while your brain's developing mm -hmm. um, but then also there's a lot of wounds and a lot of hurts that like are hard to deal with yeah. and addiction can kind of provide a way to cope through mm -hmm. those things um so yeah also something to keep in mind is that addiction can really be spurred on in adolescence so, like, um, the age when a f person first starts using drugs, alcohol, be or behavior really makes a difference. So, there's a lot of research that shows using substances as an adolescent dramatically increases the risk of addiction. Oh, yeah. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, so many people started drinking or using drugs as a teenager, and now they're, like, in their 60s, and mm -hmm. they really can't quit, even though they have a million reasons to quit. Um, like starting something so hard when your brain is still so sensitive like it's awful like your yeah. brain literally gets hooked on it oh my gosh yeah and a teenage brain is a little more wired for like dopamine and like those mm -hmm. like happy chemicals um they're looking to feel okay yeah whatever that looks like and the brain is a little more of an emotional brain than a logic brain mm -hmm. at that time um so there's just a lot of things going on that can be detrimental for an adolescent um Dr. Amon's big statement, which I think I probably should have said this earlier, but um, I got a lot of information from Dr. Amon and a couple other uh, researchers that we'll make sure to link mm -hmm. later. But um, Dr. Amon's big statement is that addicted brains work differently. He says um, that those, especially with anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, ADHD, PTSD, complex PTSD, and traumatic brain injuries are more susceptible to addiction. I would agree with that. Yeah, and I'm I'm not surprised by that either. And I think it's important to note um, because we really want to continue to emphasize that addiction isn't a reflection of the person and who they are. Oh no! Right? Yeah. And not that, a character flaw. It's no. not that sort of thing. No, but it often. I, that's what I felt growing up when people were talking about addicts and addiction, you know, and mm. I think it often the addict itself feels like that's what's happening too. Mm. So it's not a reflection of the person and who they are, yeah. but rather it's just abnormal processes of the brain. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously they have choices to make right. as far as their recovery. Right. Um, yeah. There's, you know, demons to kill, so mm -hmm. to speak, mm -hmm. right? And you have to deal with that, just like any other thing in life to deal with your demons. And um, it is really hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you might be a predisposition to addiction because these disorders struggle to have good communication between the emotion brain and the logical brain. 
um, and that can kind of create a propensity towards impulsivity and a little bit of that susceptibility mm -hmm. towards addiction. Um, and I also think it shouldn't be a surprise that trauma, you know, cr increases the likelihood of addiction. Um, there's just a lot of um, real destruction that's out there and a lot of pain for families. Yeah. Um, and I think a an addiction kind of serves as a way to cope and get through things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, what we wanted to do by unpacking that is just create a lot of understanding and empathy for what's going on. Yeah. Um, but we also know that an addict creates a lot of destruction and pain for the family. So we're not Absolutely. unaware by just how hard all of this is. Mm -hmm. um, we're not um, oblivious to that. But yeah, we want to continue to empathize with the with the ad addict and what they're going through and just mm. the hard thing that an addiction is. It is incredibly hard. I mean, like on the addict side, like Grace has like already said, um, there's something that's just not firing correctly mm -hmm. in your brain. But at the same time, like this is incredibly hard on like the family or the support system. Like they're, everyone kind of has to work together in order to get this person to a healthy place. So like the addict themselves need to make some very, very hard decisions because you are literally working against your brain at this yeah. point. So you do have to um, get help, lean on support. This, this isn't just a situation of, oh, my brain is misfiring, so this is the way that I am. Right. No, because your brain is misfiring, you need to get some assistance and you mm -hmm. need to get some help. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's responsibility for for so many that are involved with helping an addict, for yeah. the addict itself and for the family and, mm -hmm. and the systems and supports. Um, but yeah, so we want to unpack a little bit more about what's going on in the brain. Um, not only is there likely a mental illness that's coexisting with addiction, but addiction obviously negatively rewires the brain. Like Candace was saying, you're kind of going against your brain. Yeah. So according to Dr. Amen, the brain's reward system is an intricate network of brain circuits and neurotransmitters that work together to drive you to seek out rewarding things like food, sex, pleasure, um, but that regulate self-control so you don't overdo it. In people with addictions, however, the brain's drive circuits, the nucleus acubent, acubens, I never say it right. Well, how could you? What a word. I know. <laughs> I practice it too, though. I'm going to be honest with you guys. <laughs> I still can't say it. Um, and deep limbic system dominate and the self-control circuit, the prefrontal cortex, doesn't work hard enough. Ah, so it's almost like the part of the brain that's, like, looking to be rewarded is, like, top dog in this situation. But, like, the prefrontal cortex, like, the part that actually makes good choices is just, like, kind of down for the count. Absolutely. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's just not doing enough work and everything else that's driving those circuits is uh, in control. Okay. Yeah. So the result obviously is a lack of self-restraint and for some people addiction to substances or behaviors. Um, and what we obviously know is even if you suffer consequences from drinking too much, taking drugs or whatever it is, the dysfunction in your brain's reward system pushes you to repeat the behavior over and over again. Mm -hmm. Right, and like you guys all get that. You all know that you watch that. I yeah. think that's the frustration that people have is like, well, how can they not see what they're doing? How don't they understand, you know, like the consequences of these things? Mm -hmm. And um, it's really hard because the brain just really doesn't have any sense of logic when it has um, just those uh, circuits rewired and kind of just hijacked 
Um, yeah. So in real life, you have to work to achieve a goal or reward. The achievement leads to a chemical reward in the brain when you do. And that makes us feel good and it drives us to achieve more, which is a really good motivation. Um, but when we shortcut to that feeling, either through a drug or a behavior, the chemicals release can be really overwhelming because it's not naturally something that your brain is doing. Um, so it's just like really overpowering for the brain. So when there's drugs or losing weight or excessively working out, gambling, um, that can provide a quick jolt uh, of up to five or ten times the amount of dopamine you'd get naturally. Yeah. Five to ten times the amount of dopamine you'd get naturally. That's crazy. I know, right? Um, so, like, that it's really short-circuiting some of the natural things in your brain. Mm-hmm. So then a consequence of that is naturally occurring dopamine has less of, a, of an effect, yeah. right? So you're just naturally occurring dopamine is not going to impact you as much anymore. Mm. And um, the amount of drugs or time spent on the activity does not have as much as an effect anymore either. So tolerance has increased and now more of the drug um, or the activity is needed to achieve the same quote-unquote high. Yeah, so it's almost like you need more and more and more to even feel basic level mm -hmm. of okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and that's also what we see with addiction. N mm -hmm. You guys are not surprised by that because you've watched it or experienced it. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the same time, addiction causes the prefrontal cortex, the thing that drives your good decision-making, um, become less active. Yeah. So it's really sad because, like we said earlier, that's already, you know, something that's getting hijacked and becoming less and less. But that process is making your logic, your decision making, way less active. Mm -hmm. um, it's our chief executive officer, so it keeps us in check by putting on brakes before we do something unhealthy or unwise. Um, you know, when the CEO slows down or becomes less active, it can lead to lost control over the addiction and um, also decreases motivation uh, to work on it. So the willingness to indulge bad behaviors increases in order mm. to feed that addiction. So you're just like getting wrecked on all fronts, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. Man, I feel like you can almost kind of see that playing out in the stories of so many addicts, like even thinking of situations of like sex addicts in marriage, like they know that they're wrecking their marriage. They know that they can lose everything, but at the same time, they keep going to prostitutes. They keep mm -hmm. looking at pornography. They keep doing all these things because their brain is kind of in this place of, okay, I need more and more and more to feel yeah. okay. And at the same time, I don't feel as um, motivated to like fix my life and mm -hmm. put it in a healthy state. And that's how you end up like in all these really crazy situations. And that's just one example as far as sex addicts. But like right. that can totally be seen across the board for addictions. Yeah, right. And like the family like is like, come on, how can how can you not see this? But mm -hmm. like you see how the brain's hijacked to be less and less motivated and um, continue in those behaviors. Yeah. And then a big part of this too is also the hippocampus, which we've talked about before. It's our favorite word on this right. podcast. <laughs> but if you remember, hippocampus just means, um, it just is the part of the brain that is responsible for memory and storing memory, mm -hmm. um, whether that's short-term or long-term memory. And so this, the hippocampus also reinforces the addiction by creating memories of the rush of pleasure felt when indulging in the addiction. 
Um, so like you could be around certain things that remind you of your addiction and even if you're not indulging in the moment, um, like if you're around a needle or you're um, around um, maybe some type of food or you're, uh, you're walking near a gym, you know, like you can be like almost um, aroused by the hippocampus because it's created this response <coughs> to drive you to indulge in the addiction. Mm. Um, it remembers the rush and that's really rough. Yeah. Um, so why we say all of this maybe nerdy and <laughs> really in-depth information is just like, this is why addiction recovery is so challenging. You're literally fighting your own brain and attempting to overcome it. And it is hard work for uh, for an addict, no matter mm. what the addiction is. Um, and yeah. there's so many out there. Um, oh, yeah, it's not just a case of mind over matter. It's not just it's not just a case of like find the right like formula of what to do and then it will be done. Like it's going to take a long time to heal our brain in most cases. Mm -hmm. I think the number that I hear most, and I could totally be wrong about this because I didn't research it, but is like 18 months. It doesn't feel wrong to me. Yeah, I think it's 18 months to get um, a sense of like clarity mm -hmm. and to get your brain to be operating back to a good baseline that's not necessarily where it should be but like a good baseline so you can continue in your recovery so if mm -hmm. you're clear of a substance or a behavior for 18 months which is really hard to do mm -hmm. like that's great but yeah, like often, your long-term recovery probably like shoots up as oh soon as for sure you're never perfect yeah. you're, you're always gonna have to keep a good eye out for um triggers and that sort of thing but like I would assume that, like, your risk of, like, falling hard probably goes down after 18 months clean. Yeah. And, like, relapse is just bound to happen. Like, I don't want to I don't want to put a sour taste in anyone's mouth about that. Like, mm. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, so to speak. But, yeah. like, you got to be realistic at the same time. Yeah. So, like, it's not everything just to get to 18 months. If you have mm. relapse, it's okay. Your brain eventually will get to the baseline it needs to be. But yeah. um, there is still progress to be had, and there's still hope, even if there's relapse. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, all this to say it's just really hard to fight your brain to overcome addiction. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I really like about Dr. Eamon's work is that he does a lot of brain scans, and he does spec scans. Um, which is single photon emission com computed tomography. Say that three times fast. I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to go back to call it spec scans. Yeah. Which I really love them. If you guys are nerdy like me, just go look them up. Maybe we'll link them. But I think it really gives you a, a good, clear picture of like what's going on in the brain. And he breaks down how to understand what's happening really well, too. Um, so what a spec scan is, it's a nuclear medicine study that evaluates blood flow and activity in the brain. Um, and I love that. So it shows three things, healthy activity, too little activity, or too much activity. A healthy brain in a spec scan shows full, even, symmetrical activity. Like it is full, like you can see that it's full. Um, and a spec, uh, a spec scan of a substance abuser um, typically has an overall toxic appearance. So they look less active, more shriveled, and have kind of like a scalloping effect is how he describes it. And there's, you, you can see that there's holes in the brain. They're not actual physical holes. 
in the brain, but they represent areas that are low in blood flow and activity. So like, especially the prefrontal cortex is low in blood flow and activity mm -hmm. and other things um, in the hippocampus and in your emotion brain are um, really low in blood flow and activity. Hmm. So we'll link those because yeah. you need to see it in order to understand what I'm saying. But I think like, be good. you can even hear though, like there's a very diff big difference between what's going on in um, your brain uh, with addiction versus, you know, a healthy brain. Yeah, you can see addiction. Mm hmm. Absolutely. So I think, guys, that's everything that I want to share with you about the brain. Yeah. Hopefully that makes sense to you all, but we will certainly link a lot of the research and the information that we went over. Absolutely. But Candace, um, I think a question a lot of people have is when does a normal behavior cross over into addiction? Yeah, I think that's um, a really good question. It's a fair question. So um, we have like just a couple of things from the Georgia Addiction Center. Um, so first, like you can kind of tell that it's turning into an addiction when you're starting to have the inability to cease the behavior. So like when you can't stop drinking or when like you need to have a certain amount of alcohol in a day in order to be okay you've got a problem. Mm -hmm. um, I would also say like when it's starting to like almost dominate your life um, or like not having it affects your day and it like mm -hmm. affects the way that you're able to just like do life. That's also a really big sign that addiction is, is probably in play here um, or like even when you see negative um, consequences occur due to the behavior. For example, like a shopping addiction causes someone to like rack up thousands of dollars in credit card debt and like puts them in financial jeopardy um, or like especially with sex addiction mm -hmm. when you're seeing like pornography use. Um, or like all the way to the other side of the spectrum, like going to see prostitutes, like you are wrecking your marriage, you are wrecking your dating relationship and you're wrecking yourself as well, yeah. even if you are single and practicing those things. Right. So like those negative consequences. There can be medical negative consequences. Of oh those things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like when your body's starting to like not be okay based on your behavior. Um, and then kind of like we had said at the beginning, like when stopping or avoiding the behavior becomes impossible despite the increasingly negative consequences, you are dealing with an addiction here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some pretty good tells right there. And, mm -hmm. and like if you try stopping, like what's your discussion? comfort like you know yeah that might also be a good tell like can you go a day can you go a week can you go a month mm -hmm. right and if you feel like you are on fire or cra crazy quote-unquote crazy yeah or you have so much anxiety um and distress with stopping something that might also be a tell too because a lot of people are like no I'm fine I, everything's fine like this is great and they function really well mm -hmm. there's there's some high functioning addiction out there mm -hmm. um but like if you were to remove it and stop what is that going to be like for you can you handle that distress yeah. and that's not everything honestly that's not the end all be all tell but like mm -hmm. it might be another thing to add there of like yeah when you norm when a normal behavior crosses over into addiction i'm also curious candace um what what does an addiction like represent or like mm -hmm. it's like what are they looking to get out of that addiction yeah what are they looking to get out of that addiction what yeah. do you think man i think the answer to that is different for for every person but there are probably like four things that like you could be looking for so that would be like fantasy 
chasing happiness, coping, and just looking for an escape. So like you are looking to deal with something. Um, so my husband does a lot of work in just like the sex addiction, pornography world. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I get to hear like a lot about that from him as far as like when um, a guy is almost just like looking to like feel alive, feel like a man, feel like he has mm -hmm. power and he's important. Like yeah. he looks for escape in pornography because it's almost like you have like control in that sort of situation or like fantasy. Like you can fantasize that like you have all these women after you, like you can just really like just fantasize this whole world that isn't actually real. So that mm -hmm. also goes with coping and then even in like drug addiction, like who knows how much stress you're under in your real life. So, like, when you're high, like, you're gone. You can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. And the things that are actually hard about life don't matter as much. Or, like, if you struggle with, like, really high anxiety because of the stress in your life, take a downer and then you feel okay yeah. and you're not as stressed anymore. So, like, fantasy, chasing happiness, looking to feel okay, coping and just, like, escaping the real world is, yeah. like, a lot of the... um the motivation behind yeah. addiction for your mind uh, i mean i hear how like uh, much of that like would it be appealing you know like mm -hmm. i can hear that oh like, yeah especially as we talk about like maybe childhood trauma or just like stressors going on in life mm -hmm. like i can really hear how you know escaping those things within with an addiction would be really like appealing so and that's not you know, abnormal for everyone, whether or not you have, like, a really impairing addiction or, like, um, you are scrolling on Instagram, you know, or, like, you are working yourself to the bone or, mm -hmm. you know, you're cleaning your whole house throughout every single day, you know, like, there are, there are other things, um, you know, that are kind of pseudo addictions as well, but mm -hmm. I think we can all relate to, like, doing something for fantasy or chasing happiness or coping or escaping right yeah. or else we wouldn't binge netflix we wouldn't no or disney plus i think it's more disney plus these days but yeah netflix is like disappointing right yeah. now that's a whole other conversation but we'll have that conversation sometime we'll that's very important to mental health to talk about <laughs> how disappointing netflix is it is disappointing though anyway yeah yeah we won't want to go down that trail not today <laughs> Um, what we want to end with uh, today for you guys is just some treatment and some hope. And so, yeah. Candice, um, what are some things that um, you would say are some treatment for addiction? Yeah, I mean, detox at the end of the day, like that's what you're looking at regardless of what kind of addiction you have. So that detox process looks different depending on what you're struggling with. Mm -hmm. um, so we most frequently hear of like rehab or halfway houses um we hear about like outpatient inpatient intensive outpatient like all these different options that you'd have so between the two of us yeah. we have some frustrations with like inpatient rehab um i've heard of stories of people like going into rehab to get off of one addiction and then they come out with another addiction mm -hmm. so um as you research rehab inpatient really research hard look at their success rates um make sure you're going somewhere good probably not state run i hate to yeah. say that you're probably going to want to go with a a private um rehab but maybe a non-profit non-profit perhaps yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, we certainly have our frustrations with mm-hmm. rehab and facilitations, but also can recognize, you know, necessity and some benefits too, but try to find the right one. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is like extreme, but there is one place that I'm like very tempted to work at. Really? That's out in, it's like far. It's like out in the Midwest. I'm not actually going people, (laughs) but they, um, it's like a rehab for men. And like when you go, like you get a puppy (gasps) and like you have that dog with you through your entire um, rehab experience. I think it's like a year commitment that, is that you're there. Awesome. And then you get to leave with the dog and like they have really high success rates, but it's because every counselor there only has two clients at a time. That like, is amazing. That is it. You are focused on these two people. Plus he has the dog. So he's taking care of something while he's trying to heal himself. It's really, really great. So there are good rehab places. Yeah. They're just hard to find. Yeah. And we also are not unaware that things are expensive. Oh yes. I'm sure it's very pricey. Insurance and all that jazz. Um, Mm -hmm. So we totally get it. Um, But there are resources out there. Um, But I think I'm tempted to go work there now. I know, right? We're out of here, actually. Bye, guys. (laughs) (laughs) To only have, like, two clients sounds kind of weird to me. Mm -hmm. But, like, it makes sense if you want to, like, give someone who has, like, something so severe and so hard, like, the utmost attention. Yeah, well, you probably see these boys, like, every day, twice a day. Mm -hmm. I would assume, like, really intensive, get them back on track type of work. Yeah, really intensive work. Yeah. But there's a puppy. I know. Can you imagine? Your clients come in and they're like, this is Rover, my puppy. And I'm like, oh my word, I'm going to cuddle Rover. Anyway, I'm a really, really big dog person. counselors get puppies? I hope so. Because that would be great. I think that would just help the process for the client especially. (laughs) Oh my goodness. My dog and your dog can be friends and then you'll heal. Yeah, exactly. Very good therapeutic work right there. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's what I'm saying. Before we start talking about puppies, <laughs> what are some other treatments? <laughs> Guys, I'm so sorry. We keep getting sidetracked today. It's that kind of day. It's that kind of day. Mm-hmm. So there are also 12-step groups that you can do. So, like, a lot of us know what AA is, Alcohol Anonymous. Um, so, yeah, that kind of helps you. Um, see, I'm just not really thinking today. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that 12-step group is great. Yeah. It's it's ultimately like a really structured, really intentional kind of group. Yeah. Twelve step groups are tight knit. I tell they you are. what, you get into one, you get plugged into one. They are tight knit. It is like a second family. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so so. That's I feel like that's um that tends to be really successful because you have that camaraderie mm-hmm. around you. And um, the language they all have like kind of the same language. It's twelve step mm-hmm. language, and it's just really good. It is really good. Um. So and there's also therapy. Therapy is so good it's long term and it counts like in the real world so like rehab is awesome for like getting you on track right here right now Mm -hmm. and then like when you get out like you're still gonna have to interact with your family and your job and your friends and like all of those triggers in your Mm -hmm. life so going through therapy after you're out of um like an intensive thing is super important so there's cognitive behavioral therapy there's dbt which i'm going to mispronounce i say dialectable (laughs) can you help me out grace Oh, I mean, you're not terribly off, just dialectical. Dialectical. I never say it right. Behavioral therapy. Um, There's ERP, ACT, REBT, all these lovely letters of the alphabet. Um, (laughs) And if you are using one of these therapies, like, so, okay, we'll just say them. Cognitive behavioral therapy, Mm -hmm. dialectical behavioral therapy, exposure response prevention therapy, 
acceptance, commitment therapy. Mm -hmm. Whew, I'm getting long-winded. <laughs> She's getting tired. Rational, emotional behavior. Emotive, behavioral therapy. behavioral therapy. Yeah, see, we even forget what they stand for sometimes. <laughs> so many letters. Um, but yeah, if you are using one of these, your therapist hopefully will explain what it is to you. Yes. And give you a little bit of education. Not a ton, because you don't want a ton. Mm -mm. <laughs> but hopefully we'll just let you know what kind of therapy you're doing. Yeah. Um, so that you're not, like, unaware. Absolutely. Yeah. And, like, obviously each of these will work better or different based on, like, you as a person or mm -hmm. based on your addiction. Um, I mostly work with teenagers. I know that, I'm going to say it wrong again, dialectical. Yeah, you got it. You did it. I did it. You did it. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Dialectical behavioral therapy is like what's most recommended for teenagers just based on a lot of other things. But yeah. there's that piece of information. Yeah, DBT is definitely like way more uh, emotional processing mm -hmm. regulation. So it's really good. It's yeah. honestly just good for a lot of things. But yeah. anywho, therapy is important. Yay, therapy. That goes without saying, I think, yeah. when you're listening to any of our episodes. Therapy, therapy, therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then lastly, we have social supports. Like, mm -hmm. we are meant to do life in a community. It's so good. Like Grace was saying, that's part of what makes 12-step groups so good. You get really tight-knit. You have the same sort of language. You're in this together. Social supports are everything. So that means talking to your people, being honest with your people. Don't hide. Don't pretend. You're not helping yourself. You're not helping anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like a lot of times I hear, like, oh, I want to not tell my mom or yeah. someone else about my behavior behavior because it's going to hurt them you're already hurting them and you're yeah. already hurting yourself like you need to be honest so that you can have a real and authentic relationship with them that's so good that's such a good perspective too like you're not really getting what you think you're getting out of hiding and mm -hmm. ultimately it's just making you sicker and, and damaging things more and nobody wants that yeah and i think that's just true for everything mm -hmm. like the more we can learn not to hide the less i think we're going to fall into traps yeah too so no matter what it is and I know for me, as I was, like, researching some things and thinking about addiction, I was like, well, that sounds relatable. Well, that sounds relatable. And I've never had, like, an opioid addiction. That's or like, good. Right. Well, I mean, like, hopefully, Lord willing, never will. Mm -hmm. Right? Because there's some things you just can't control. But, um, like, just the nature of addiction, I was like, wow, whew, okay, Lord, that's very relatable. That like, Absolutely. And I, yeah, I, you cannot hide and pretend we need each other. And I've only ever noticed that that breaks shame and really brings more true authentic healing, too. So, mm -hmm. well, even with my own stuff and my own addiction patterns, you know, like, I've really had to, like, talk about them. And, yeah, that's where healing is. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So I hope you guys learned something about addiction today. I hope that this has been informative and helpful. Um, if you struggle from an addiction, there's hope. If yeah. you love someone with an addiction, there's absolutely hope there for them and for you as well. Um, it's all about um, empathy, understanding, but at the same time making the hard choices to get yourself some help. Yeah. Life does not have to be this way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think next time we talk about addiction, we'll talk a little bit more about um, social supports with addiction. We'll talk a little bit more about, like, maybe the family of an addict. Um, mm, how to be helpful to an addict, how to be a good friend or family member to them. Yeah, and that doesn't always mean rescuing, so we'll no. just put a little plug into that right now. Mm -hmm. uh, we may talk about boundaries a little bit more. <gasps> boundaries! <laughs> boundaries are so good. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's what we have for you today, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Take yeah. care.
Bye. Bye, everyone.